This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast, brought to you by Gold Rock Capital. Each week, we look at how high net worth families can improve their lives, decisions, and investments in a deeply uncertain world. We always aim to provide practical information, even if we can't offer specific investment advice. Welcome, everybody. This is the Definitely Uncertain Podcast. My name is Darren Rockman, and I'm a partner at Gold Rock Capital, the 21-year-old multifamily office servicing families of wealth in Israel and around the world. And today, I am very pleased to have uh, Tzvi Schreiber, Dr. Tzvi Schreiber on our podcast. Tzvi and I have known each other for longer than we care to remember. Hi, Tzvi. Hey, good morning. <laughs> good morning. How are you? So by way, by way of introduction, Tzvi is a serial entrepreneur. Uh, he has started a whole list of companies, uh, including uh, Tradium, which was acquired by VerticalNet, Unicorn, that was acquired by IBM. He was CEO of Litech, which was acquired by General Electric. And today he is founder and CEO of Freitos, an Israeli tech company that has created a digital booking platform for international shipping. And apart from all of that, he has a PhD in computer science and is the author of Fizz, a history of physics, and most recently, his latest book just came out, and that is Money Going Out of Style, The Story of Money and the Mystery of Its Decline. And um, I, th- this brings me back to a conversation that Svi and I had probably 25 years ago. I was, uh, I have a, a degree in economics myself, and he said to me, tell me, um, what's money? And of course, I was completely unable to give him anything close to a reasonable answer. So he's gone on and written a whole book about it. Um, so, Svi, uh, tell us a little bit about, firstly, why it is that you decided to write the book. And I hope it's not because I couldn't give you a good answer. <laughs> well, Darren, it wasn't specifically because you couldn't give me a good answer, but it was because it was very hard to get a good answer in general. You know, um, I also timed the publication of the book to the 50th anniversary one week ago of the end of the gold standard. So in August 1971, exactly 50 years ago, uh, President Nixon decided that he no longer cared to back the dollar with gold. And shortly after that, the pound and the the franc and Deutsche Deutsche Mark at the time, you know, um, basically became unlinked from gold. So uh, money is 50 years old as a a fiat currency, as as something which is not backed by a commodity. And uh, so it's become fairly amorphous in the last half century. And I never got a really good answer. What is it? You know, so um, I ended up doing a lot of thought experiments about it. Imagine we were, uh, you know, I was sort of on, on a desert island and, and we started bartering and then we. Um, so I did these thought experiments, which, which I put in the book to just try to really understand fundamentally what money actually is. Right. And did you get an answer? Yes, I think I did. Um, there's a, a lot of complexity because money is used for, for different things. But yeah, fundamentally, it's tokens. Fundamentally, the world, people want to barter their labor for goods and services. Uh, so at its most fundamental, uh, money are tokens, which allow people to swap their, their work, their labor for, for receiving goods and services. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of a unit of debt in a way, because um, the, you did some work, so then the company gives you a salary. And that means you're owed goods and services. And then you go and spend that money and you receive the goods and services. And then someone else is, so the company who received that money is then owed work. So it's basically keeping track of who's owed work and who's owed 
goods and services. That, that's right. at its most basic. But the, there's a lot of complications around that as well. But that's okay. that, that was that's my basic simple answer. Yes. Right. Okay. So your you, your book implies that money is facing a midlife crisis. What 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 do you mean? By that, and, and you know, we're, we're both in our early fifties, so you know, maybe we know what, it, we know what you're talking about. Yes, being experts on, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of money about money, but I know a lot about midlife crisis. So, um, well, that's your next book, right? <laughs> so, yeah, but I mean, what I meant by that, if you think of money's fifty years, it actually went through, I would say, three phases. So, in the seventies and early eighties, there was the hyperinflation. So, what happened is, dollar, the dollar was no longer linked to gold. And it became very tempting for governments in America and Europe around the world to print money. And so they said, oh, well, you know, we can print money now. So they printed money. So, um, and then there was, you know, high inflation, in some cases, hyperinflation. So then they sort of created the central banks to control that. And then we had um, maybe three centuries of stable growth. The money supply sort of grew with the economy. The prices were fairly stable. Um, but since 2008, something completely different has happened. Um, the Fed and the other central banks are printing money in, in tremendous amounts. And it's not driving inflation this time. I know there's been a bit of inflation, but, but compared to the amount of money being printed, there's very little inflation. Um, and but it's not driving growth either. There's a little bit of growth, but the amount of money being printed is huge. So, so just to give you some numbers, um, the quantity of dollars has increased from going into 2008, there was a trillion dollars of cash and cash equivalent um, circulating, and today there's six trillion. And now the economy has only grown 50% but the, in that time, but the money supply has grown 500%. And what that means is that the vast majority of all of that cash is just not being spent, it's not circulating. And indeed, the velocity of money has gone down from before 2008. Each dollar was spent, salary and, and, and shopping, you know, 10 times a year, and now it's about once a year. So when I say going out of style, I'm saying that most money is no longer being used for its primary purpose, which is buying goods and services. So what's it being used for? Aha. Well, um, I think it's being used for buying shares in cryptocurrency. So, so instead of getting inflation, uh, you know, what used to happen when you had too much money is you got inflation of goods and services, yeah. uh, inflation in the supermarket, if you like, but now we're getting inflation in the stock market instead. So people right. are chasing up the prices of shares, chasing up the prices of real estate, chasing up the prices of bizarre crypto assets, uh, which I think is maybe less, uh, less helpful. Um, but, but I think that's what we're getting instead, yeah. Right. So asset price inflation rather than goods and services inflation. And of course, a large part of that's being driven by the fact that a lot of that money's actually been injected into the, via the purchase of assets. So rather than you know governments just printing money and then handing it out for people to lend uh, you know, or for banks to lend out, they're actually going in and buying assets with them. And, and that, of course, has been part of the you know, what's kicked off this this huge increase in the value of all assets, really. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also tied in the book to the issue of inequality, which has become more extreme over that time period. And I think that's becoming actually an economic issue. Put aside the social issue, but just from a pure economic perspective, I think if you print money and you give it to someone who's wealthy, then they probably, they're probably not buying extra goods and services with that. They're investing in the stock market or in other assets, which is fine, but it doesn't create actual jobs. Um, and then you, if more of that money was going into, you know, into the hands of people who are poorer, they were more likely to buy goods and services, which drives actual job creation. Right. So um, I do think that inequality may be getting to a level where it's creating an economic issue in that respect.
in what sense is that now an economic issue? As a, you know, the social implications are of and, and stability, political instability. There are there are all those, but but what what are the economic implications as far as you can see? I think the economic implication is that if too much wealth is going to too few people uh, who who already maxed out in the goods and services they want to consume, you know, day to day. Um, then you actually have not enough goods and services being consumed, and then you end up in unemployment. Now, the way I think the way that the economy has adjusted for that is by having the crazy interest rates. So interest rates have been virtually zero, but real interest rates, once you adjust for inflation, real, real interest rates are well below zero. Um, and you get this bizarre situation where um, you know Siemens is borrowing money for less than zero. Uh, you can get a mortgage in Europe in, in, for, in, in inflation adjusted terms. No, in actual in, terms. In, in absolute in actual terms. terms. Um, and then yes, and then if you look at it inflation adjusted, uh, you know it's it's even more extreme. Uh, you can get a mortgage in Europe for less than zero in nominal terms, and in inflation terms, it's minus two, minus three percent. Um, and you know Toyota, <laughs> Toyota borrowed money. Um, their, their interest rate was one yen for every ten billion yen. They borrowed. I mean, like, and said, and again, when you adjust for inflation, and of course, said, they couldn't find that one yen, which was a bit of a problem. <laughs> right, so. And again, you know, as you say, once you adjust for inflation, these are all negative. So it's actually a kind of a, a workfare where we're actually subsidizing Toyota to buy a car, you know, to build a car factory, or subsidizing Siemens, or, or, or Google also borrowed money for, for. In America, it's just above zero nominally, but again, to your point, inflation adjusted, it's negative. Mm. So we're actually, um, society is actually subsidizing loans for building factories that may not even be profitable. Um, and that's probably maintaining um, employment in the meantime, but but it's not not necessarily a sustainable situation. So that that I think is the economic, um, the ironical economic economic situation that we're creating. So we, the, what you're describing essentially is a bubble in asset prices that's being generated for real reasons. Or you know, I, I had a conversation recently with a with a senior accountant, and he uh, he asked me why he why I thought he should invest at. You know, the current uh, you know, valuation of the stock market. And I, I said to him, well, because the alternative is holding a depreciating asset, which is right. which is your, your, your currency. Um, how do we get out of this? How, how, do, how does the world reverse itself from the position that we in which we've now put ourselves, which is and, and, and look, let's let's also give some credit to the central banks that have done this, which is you know, on two occasions in the last you know, 15 years, we were at the brink of, you know, an existential crisis in economies. And, uh, you know, with having learned the lessons of sort of the early 20th century, they were trying to avoid mass depression and did so by flooding the world with more currency than literally we knew what to do with, as, you, as you've described. So yeah, um, I agree with that. The, yeah. So you know, the, the, all of this, you know, we 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 can sit we can sit here and and, and it's all fine. But nobody was was you know picking up all cores off the streets to uh, to satisfy a hungry belly uh, over the last fifteen years. We have to r- recognize that as well. But, but how do we get out of it? <laughs> well, uh, that's a great question, um, and I, I think you're right. I think the um, central bank saved us um, twice. Um, but, but really by, by a very extreme amount of printing money. So I think, you're, yeah, I agree with your question. Um, I believe that the central banks have to, I think, I believe it's very dangerous having so much cash floating around, which right now isn't driving inflation, or it's driving a bit of inflation, but not hyperinflation. Uh, but we'd never know when it starts to, uh, 
to, to drive hyperinflation, and it is driving asset prices, which are also risky because asset, assets can, you know, asset prices can um, burst, obviously. So they can burst, and also the they, they do have an impact in the real economy, particularly when it comes to housing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, a lot of people can't afford a house because uh, because it's yeah. expensive. And yeah, agreed. So um, yeah, I do believe that they have to gradually wind down the money supply. Um, and even if that brings share prices down, try to do it as gradually as possible so it doesn't create any sort of uh, bursting. Um, and I do believe that it's come to the point where economically there's a need to uh, moderate inequality. Many right. people would disagree with me, but that's that's what I see in the numbers. Right. You mentioned Bitcoin before, so yeah. give us your view on Bitcoin and how <laughs> that fits into this uh, this overall picture that you're painting. Well, Bitcoin is interesting. Um, I've written a paper about uh, blockchain. You know, it's something I've, I've looked at a lot. Um, I, I think, first of all, it, it was it's absolutely brilliant. The um, intellectual achievement of creating a, um, a currency which has no centralized ledger um, and no um, nobody behind, no organization, you know, managing it, um, and yet is stable and and um, in, in certain stable in the sense that it doesn't, you know, crash. Not not in the sense of the value, which is not stable, um, is an incredible intellectual achievement, and I understand why people got very excited about it. However, um, as a currency, it's completely unfit for purpose um, for three main reasons. Um, the first reason is that sort of related a bit to what we discussed before: the money supply doesn't respond at all to how much usage there is. So, so the amount of Bitcoins is increasing gradually. And for some strange reason in 21 something, it's going to actually freeze, which is a terrible thing for a currency to have a, to have a completely static money supply. So I've got no idea why um, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, whoever he or she was or is, um, why they why they did that. But that makes no economic sense. So so it's, it's brilliant you mean it's, science it's, it's worse It's worse than the gold uh, standard, because at least in the gold yeah, standard, there was more gold could, being created. You could find some gold, right? Yes. Or you could do partial reserves or, yeah. or yeah. So, um, so, so that's very bizarre. That's the number one problem. The second problem is purely technical. Um, so that's an economic problem. There's a purely technical problem, which is that it, because all of these miners have to reach consensus of every transaction, it's actually incredibly slow and expensive. People don't realize that there's only seven transactions a second on the whole Bitcoin network. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, Visa's doing 10,000 transactions a second or whatever it is. Uh, and therefore, the, the cost of the transaction is actually very expensive. Sending Bitcoin is not cheap. Um, so there's a serious technical problem, um, which is the one I looked at in my, in my paper. And then the third issue, of course, uh, is environmental. Um, as you probably know, uh, Bitcoin is taking more electricity than Switzerland uh, yes. for, for, for no reason, just intentionally designed to burn energy in order to make it prohibitively expensive to hack it. Yes. But, but the environmental cost is just totally unjustified. I know you don't you don't believe in global warming, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I didn't say that. Slightly misquoted. We won't get we won't get into my beliefs around uh, around the environment. Okay. That's a different Apologies. podcast. But anyway, I think that this may be there's a risk. Let's say that all of this energy is not doing us any good. <laughs> 
uh, just just on that particular point, my question is a cost benefit analysis of the uh, of the solution. But that, that, that's a that's a separate uh, discussion. But um, you know, of course, one of the things that I think people miss around the, the the cryptocurrency discussion, not specifically on Bitcoin, which was my question before, is of course you, th- there is no end to the number of cryptocurrencies that one can create. Yeah. So when you think about uh, limiting supply. And, and limiting supply, obviously, in a currency has its advantages and disadvantages. You know, we just we just talked about some of the disadvantages of, of endless supply of currency. But of course, if anybody can create yet another IOU, which is what Bitcoin effectively you know, is, it's a form of uh, currency, um, then, then there is effectively no limit uh, to the supply. Yeah, in theory, that's right. But in practice, you know, for your currency to be worth anything, you have to have a consensus that this is a valuable asset. And there's a limit to how many things people can keep in their mind. So in 2019, there was all these ICOs happening, you know, many a day. Yes. And they've all gone by the wayside because nobody can keep track and value thousands of different currencies. So, yeah, of course, anyone can invent a currency, uh, a cryptocurrency. But I think there's a limit to how many currencies are going to get some kind of market consensus that this is worth something. So, so what do you see happens to the cryptocurrency world? Um, I think it will. Well, was difficult to predict the future, but I, I think, of course, you know, central banks. Not putting you on the spot it, or anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, look, there, there are there are different things within that um, within that sort of uh, world. So, Bitcoin has the problems I said. Um, other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum are trying to solve some of the issues and become more efficient from a, from a speed and from an energy perspective. So I think that, you know, that's good. And there are, then there are all these stable coins, which actually have some backing. So they actually have a stabilized value. Although now the regulators are worrying about, you know, who says it's stable and is it really backed? And so there's a lot of questions around that. Yeah. And then of course the central banks are starting to launch their own digital currencies. Um, so I think the jury's out. I think the uh, crypto world is slowly solving some of its problems. Uh, the central banks are trying to get in to the game. Um, and actually, I'll say, I'll say this. If you look at you know, um, central banks having digital currency, if you look at open banking, I've seen open banking up close in the UK. Uh, it's incredible. You get instant transfer. It's free. It costs a few P. Uh, instant confirmation from any bank to any bank. Just explain what open banking is for those who don't know. Yeah, so open banking is a standard which the I think the UK are the leaders, but but other countries are doing it as well. Um, the UK has told all the banks they have to have an open API, an open electronic connection, where anybody can connect to them and check balances if they have the account holder's permission and make transfers if they have the account holder's permission. Um, so um, and and that works very well in the UK. So you can. If you want to check out on your website, not using Visa, but using a bank transfer, um, you can redirect the user to any UK bank. They can make the transfer to you. You get instant confirmation. It costs virtually nothing. Instead of paying Visa 3%, you you have an instant um, transaction. Um, And that really is, I mean, in the end, you know, uh, the pound is a digital currency, right? Most uh, most users of the pound and the dollar are digital. So... The differences between um, fiat government currency and cryptocurrencies aren't as big as people think because the uh, government currencies are becoming more and more digital, um, transfers are becoming becoming more and more instant and cheap, and, um, and, and it may be that because of that, the crypto world sort of loses its edge in a way. Right. Which, which actually solves one of the other uh, problems of cryptocurrency, which is not a, a- 
problem inherent in the currency, but for regulators and for governments who want to maintain control over their money supply, um, cryptocurrency posed a huge challenge. And, and, and this effectively answers that challenge. Yes, and related to that, of course, privacy and law enforcement. So yes. uh, another big problem. Because of course, Bitcoin is, is largely used for trans, to fund transactions, which otherwise... Uh, you know, regulators wouldn't, or various regulators yes, wouldn't yes, be happy Yes, yes, it's largely about. used for crime. Um, uh, but but the, it's actually... Oh, and and by the way, and AMC allows you now to buy movie tickets yes, if you want to go yes. to a theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sort of, uh, that's sort of fascinating. Since they've become a meme stock, they decided they should tie themselves exactly. to... Well, you know, why not? ...cryptocurrencies. So um, anyway, but, um, you know, the privacy is a, two, is a two-sided problem because... If nobody knows who, you know, who, um, if nobody identifies me with my wallet, then I've got complete privacy, even from the law enforcement. Uh, but if somebody ever, if I ever actually buy some popcorn, then AMC know who, who, what my wallet is. And then I've got zero privacy. From then on, they can see everything I do. Right. So you've got this binary, either total privacy or no privacy whatsoever. And, and whereas what we want is something in between. Right, right. So you're either a hermit or big brother in the in the cryptocurrency world. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Okay. Um, when you sort of look at the midlife crisis that you know you describe for money, uh, you know, how does that midlife crisis sort of progress uh, from here? So you know, we, we've moved to the point where there is this inflation uh, potential inflation problem, and and you know, I, I think we're sort of in a um, we're at a, a sort of strange moment where you know the, the deflationary forces are huge and the inflationary forces are huge and for some reason um they're sort of keeping uh, one another in check you know the deflationary forces that have been created by technology and globalization and the dropping of trade barriers some of which is is, is being unwound um and on the other hand the inflationary forces generated by this this massive growth in, in the money supply um so they're in so, sort of keeping each other somehow in check over the last you know, decade and a half. Um, so then, uh, and, and there is an interest on behalf of central banks for there to be some inflation because it, it reduces uh, the, 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 the absolute or the, the, the real, the size of the real debt of governments and governments are, are, are running very large deficits and, and have accumulated very large debts. So you know, how do you see things sort of progress? You know, those two forces uh, progress from here. <laughs> I have learned not to not to predict the future, you know, because oh, I'm putting you on the spot again. Well, that's fine, but um, I think I'm going to sort of uh, avoid it because I mean, nobody could possibly have predicted that the money supply would increase. Let's say the U.S. base money would increase from one trillion to six trillion dollars without hyperinflation, and nobody expected that. It's against all no, the textbooks no, no. since Correct. you know since Milton Friedman. All the textbooks said that would lead to hyperinflation. And, 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 and funnily enough, it, it only happened because in two thousand and eight they went from I think it was. 200 billion to or 300 billion to a trillion in a very short period of time and then they realized hey actually this works this, you yes. know, no, no, nobody died you know uh well, hey we can do this uh at infinitum that, you know, well, that's exactly thought, right yeah and everybody thought statements. that was the big move not not realizing that it was that that was just uh you know, first course and the main course was yet to come. Yeah, I listened to the to, to a podcast with one of the heads of the of the feds. I forget which one, St. Louis or one of them. And he was sort of saying, look, we've been printing money, you know, that we haven't had much inflation. This was before the last two months, but even the last yeah. two months, it hasn't been that, sure. you know, hyper. And he said, we're, we're just going to keep printing money and <laughs> sort of see what happens. So no one predicted that. And, and I don't know what happens next. But I do know that it's a very unstable situation. You know, you know it right. could... 
inflation could suddenly come back, and then they're going to suddenly raise interest rates, and then the asset and then and then the game and then the game's up for for assets. That's going to be yeah, that's going to be kind of scary. So I'd I'd rather they start to, which I think they're doing, but they need to preempt that. Yes, and yes. reduce the money supply somehow. Well, yeah. it, it, it's actually interesting because, of course, you know, one of the things you talk about in your book is is that you know the one of the key elements of money is is its its stability, right? And and the, yeah. the, the you know that you can sort of believe that you know unlike the sort of Zimbabwe situation where you have to take a wheelbarrow, um, you know, one day to the shop and the next day you have to bring a, a truck and the next day you have to bring a yeah. semi trailer because you know money is just just dying in value. So of course. You know, one of the 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 issues is that this printing of money is potentially undermining all of that, and I think it's something that's kept investors, um, you know, really worried, and anybody that looks at the macro really worried. But I think we've also taken the same view as the as the St. Louis uh, uh, Fed uh, um, uh, president that you mentioned before, which is well, it seems to be working for the moment. So you know, we'll, we'll all just sort of stick with the game and and, and hope for the best. I'll mention just one more thing uh, tactically, which is in my day job, as you mentioned in, in your kind introduction, I'm CEO of Freighter, so, so we're, we're a digital shipping platform. And uh, I can confirm that there are some purely uh, short-term inflationary pressures right now, mainly because yep. of the there's a big shortage in ships. Uh, shipping and ships. Yep. Yeah, and the price of shipping. Uh, we have a, we published the index, the FBX, the Freighter Sporting Index of uh, shipping container shipping prices, and it's up hundreds of percent on last year. And and you know most goods are imported, so yes. So I can confirm that there's some very specific tactical things which are creating uh, inflation in goods right now, which will be transitory because they will build yep. more ships. So, yeah. yeah. Well, they will build more ships, and also there are supply chains which have been starved because of the lockdowns last year, and and, and maybe lockdowns now, and, and and a lot of the, a lot of that demand is really just filling gaps in supply in warehouses around the world. Yeah, potentially, but but I mean, actually, retail is breaking records. But I guess the other interpretation is that as services come back, people will spend more on on travel and, and restaurants yes. and less on goods and goods perhaps. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Okay. Well, for those um, who were fascinated by this conversation as I was, uh, you can do what I didn't and go to Amazon and, and buy the book. It's uh, money going out of style by the Sri Schreiber. And I highly recommend it. And uh, you, you, I've, I intend to buy it for uh, a couple of people that I know as well, because I think it's a great uh, introduction to this whole topic of money and, and the macro economy and, and what it all means and, and, and uh, help you understand better the world in which we live uh, as complex as it is. So thank you very much, Tzvi Schreiber. It's been a pleasure, Darren. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, look out for more episodes of the Definitely Uncertain Podcast. If you want to uh, send us any ideas uh, for shows, you can send it to podcast at goldrockcap.com. Uh, you can get us on YouTube and SoundCloud and anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks, everybody, and see you next time.